when um, Alina and I first started dating, um, one of the things that I quickly stopped doing was talking in different accents. Uh, <laughs> I had a habit of just like, just, just, you know, just throwing in a British accent or Australian accent every once in a while. Um, so I love every opportunity I can to use an accent, so. Um, today I'm going to talk about my favorite philosophical fallacy, the no true Scotsman. To use an accent, this is really just. <laughs> so, um, it's a really great fallacy. It's one, one of the best fallacies. You know, some of the fallacies are like ad hominem, basically. And so if, I'm, if we're having an argument, instead of talking about the argument, you're going to criticize you, yourself. And so that's, it's a fallacy. It's not really putting the argument forward. But the no true Scotsman is great. And so um, the, the example is basically, and so you have a Scotsman, obviously. So take it to the matter of Scotsman. No Scotsman puts sugar in his porridge. And his, his, the other guy next to him is like, but my uncle Argyle puts sugar in his porridge. No true Scotsman puts sugar in his porridge. And so you make a general, like a universal claim and then continually move it down. And it's like, you know, no Scotsman wears pants on Thursday. But it also works, for instance, you know, no longhorn leaves a football game early. Tired. No true longhorn leaves a football game early. Or, um, you know, for the other one, it's like, if no Aggie sits down during whatever happens at the game. I sit down, it's like, well, no true Aggie. Um, you know, they stand and they go like that awkwardly and so. <laughs> but it's, it's a way to, uh, to put, you know, you continually redefine what you're talking about in order to avoid, like, usually facile criticism. But it's, and so you're not really talking about the same thing. And so it's like, well, no, true, you know. And it happens a lot, especially with Christians. And that's the danger. And so you hear, it's like, well, you know, Christ, you know, Christians are always good. Well, there's this one Christian who wasn't good. Well, no true Christian does something like that. And you, you pretty quickly get into an unkennable situation. And what often happens, and so, is we don't really, Christians don't feel comfortable, like, staring those troublesome situations directly in the face. And so when we're talking to someone who's not a Christian, um, we don't really have a place to stand. In this situation. My friends, we're continuing our series on the next person, on imagining who is the next person we are going to share Christ's love with, assuming that that next person is not the last person or the first person. It is, it is the next person. And today we're talking about the dismisser, the person who dismisses faith. Think about a person named, I'm literally just making this up, named Lewis. Lewis didn't grow up in the church. Lewis um, had no connection. He doesn't care. It's no relation to him. For Lewis, the only thing Christians are are usually members of the political party he doesn't like. Talk about Christ a lot. Um, but that's all. That's the only connection he has to it. And there's, you know, he remembers, he knows some bad things that Christians have done. And it's like, why would I ever want to associate myself with that? I'm perfectly comfortable sleeping in on Sundays. I do not want to do anything else. And it's a challenge. And it's this kind of us versus them mindset. And so, so for Lewis or for a dismisser, it's like, well, I don't want to be one of them. They do, they do, they're hypocrites. They do those things. And the inverse, oftentimes, Christians have a similar us versus them mindset. The us, the people inside the room, the people with the good backgrounds, and the them, all of the, the teeming hordes outside <laughs> Outside the gates. 
John, John 10, the passage that, that J.D. read, is an interesting one. And kind of, John plays around a lot with these us, us versus the, them things going on. And so John 10 takes place, the festival of dedication. This is Hanukkah. So this is when Jesus is celebrating Hanukkah by being accused of things. Um, but it was the time of the festival of dedication. That's Hanukkah. It was winter and Jesus was in the temple and the Jewish opposition circled around him and said, How long will you test our patience? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Tell us plainly. Other, other places he says, they, he's asked this question um, in the other Gospels. And he's like, just tell me now, are you the Christ? Are you the one? And he was like, if, you know, if Abraham told you and, and Moses told you and all these people told you, and if you didn't listen to them, why are you going to listen to me? I've been telling you over and over again. He answers, I have told you, but you don't believe me. The works I do in my father's name testify about me, but you don't believe me because you don't belong to my sheep. Whoa. It's like a mic drop from Jesus. Um, so, and so the question for us is like, who is the sheep? Who is the sheep? Um, and I think, are the Pharisees truly not part of the sheep? Are they, are they kind of out, outside the range of, of possibilities. And I think one, one way to helpfully read this is from Luke 5, where Jesus says, healthy people don't need a doctor, but sick people do. I didn't come to call righteous people, but sinners to change their hearts and lives. And Jesus's mission isn't to the people who think everything is good and they've got to figure it out, but to those who are broken in need of rest, in need of hope, to those who, who need a life changed around. And you see this even more clearly in, earlier in John 10, where he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. I have other sheep that don't belong to this sheep pen. That's the one for us. We're all sheep. In the most positive sense of the word. <laughs> But there's not, and there's sheep that are not in this pen that are still being shepherded by God. And just because you haven't come through these doors, just because you're not going through other doors, you, does not mean you do not belong to God. In John 10, he also talks about the wolves. Who is the sheep and who is the wolves? And, and so often Christians fall for this, this horrible idea of thinking about the wolves are the people who want to lead our children astray. They're the sinners out there with those temptations. Going back, when, when the people out there who may be tempting our children are the sheep in need of a shepherd more than we are, um, in need of grace, in need of love, in need of a place to feel belonging, in need of the water that does not run dry. And this us versus them, this kind of continuing, this, this no true Christian, this no true Scotsman mindset that I'm just going to redefine this until the only people who fit the definition are the people who look like me, who sound like me, who do the same things as me continually redefine it instead of looking at myself and seeing where I'm falling short of God's call on my life instead of seeing the separation of sin in my life and the sin in my communities that have caused people to dismiss the faith about 1600 years ago there was a big debate going on it was raging all over the news it was <laughs> between this man named Augustine who I talk about a lot and this guy named Pelagius who was this, this British guy, this British monk, and he was very famous for being a super holy dude, 
But Pelagius would, would preach that you have to be really, really, do really, really good works and do lots of really good things or else it doesn't matter at all. Um, and Pelagian, Pelagianism is basically this idea that you earn your salvation by being a really awesome, pure person. Whereas Augustine was saying, it's, all, it's grace all the way down. Um, that we can respond and sometimes we do good, but we cannot expect ourselves to save ourselves. That we are in need of grace. No matter if you're, you're the Pope or you're the pauper outside the gates, you are in need of grace. You are in need of God's love. And, but the amazing thing that Augustine points out, and I think that for us today, is when you have grace in your life, you have freedom to look the bad things in the face and to not turn away because you don't need to protect God. And so I think one thing that I want us to try this morning is we're going to have another conversation with together and realizing that there are a lot of things that give people reason to be upset about Christians. And I think one thing that Christians need to do is be able to name them ourselves, is to name that, yes, this is upsetting. This is not good. We don't need to play politics with our faith and say, like, oh, I don't want to bring that up because that might give Christians a bad name. There is, my friends, there are bad, there's a bad name. Christians have a bad name. <laughs> um, and that is okay, and I'll talk about a little bit more about that. But I think if, if you deny that that's not true, um, then you're trying to protect something that's not God because Jesus doesn't need our protection. Um, God's love does not need our protection. And in order to connect with people who have been hurt by the church, we need to admit that the church has hurt people in the past. Amen. So I want to take a, take a few minutes. Um, again, this, is, this doesn't have to be with a stranger. It can be with someone you really know to talk about something that Christians have done in the past that has made you upset. Um, and then we'll come back together. So, and go. Okay, we're going to bring it on back. Yay, thank you. And again, you can continue conversation after church. You can talk to each other outside of church. It's amazing. We have these things called phones. We can text. It's great. You can just keep on going. Um, so, when, you know, when you hear a story like that, again, like the, the quickest, my quickest reaction, I think a lot of us, is like, well, oh, that's, well, no true Christian would do something like that. Um, 
and our like the inability of being you know what maybe maybe they did maybe they believe i think an example for me in one of the books i read in seminary was the idea of someone screaming jesus is lord as they're slashing um the skulls during the crusades and like the conflict between the word they're claiming and the action that they're doing um, one of the things that's helpful for me in thinking about this and coming back to augustine as, as kate knows i bring up augustine constantly so um, get thumbs up over there, uh, is, is Augustine's concept of original sin. And original sin kind of gets a bad rap because it seems like it's kind of focused on Adam and Eve and things outside of our control. But basically, original sin is the idea that the human heart corrupts everything it touches. And basically, that we cannot create the perfect system that will not um, corrupt and say, so no matter how much we design like the perfect polity of a church or the perfect constitution of a government, there are ways, there are going to be ways to corrupt it, to tend it towards self-gain, to tend it towards self-destruction. And so the idea of creating this pristine space is not the goal and cannot be the goal. And we must begin with grace. We must begin that realizing on our own we are not going to be, be able to build the perfect society. On our own, we're not going to be able to build the beloved community. But in God's grace, we can find hope. We can find peace. We are not the true Christians, but the truly in need of Christ. And as it says in Psalm 23, there are some dark valleys in this world. Many of us have faced dark valleys that not many other people realize. That we keep them to ourselves. But there are so many people in this world that are right now facing a dark valley. They're right now not knowing what tomorrow is going to look like and who feel alone in this world. And when we offer faith in this world, we're not offering ourselves as answers to life's persistent questions. We are offering Christ. We offer Christ, not our own way of life. We offer Christ, not, uh, not new obligations in this world. Prayer and fasting and the scriptures and, and community together and feeding the hungry and clothing the naked. These are the means of grace that Wesley talks about. These are places to see Jesus. We do these things because of who Jesus is, because of the grace that has been offered to us. We do these things not because we are so special, but because God is so special. Not to earn anything, but because we have received gifts that we did not earn. We have been given life that we have not earned. Psalm 23 is a powerful, powerful psalm. It's one of those that for many people who grew up in the church, the King James Version has been beaten into your heads. And so it's really good to hear a different one. And so J.D. read, I think, from the NRSV, and this is from the CEB. I want to read it again. And I want to think about the Lord is my shepherd, not just for me, but for everybody. And so don't just imagine yourself in this place. Imagine the, the people who are broken that you know, that need a little hope. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He lets me rest in grassy meadows. The first thing God offers is rest. He leads me to restful waters. He keeps me alive. Keeps me alive. Guides me in proper paths for the sake of his good name. Even when I walk through the darkest valleys. So, in verse 3, the shepherd leads on the proper paths, and the first path is a dark valley. 
That's really deep. That's a different sermon. But. <laughs> but yet I fear no danger because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they protect me. You set a table for me right in front of my enemies. Life with God does not mean a life free from enemies. Life with God does not mean a life free from persecution. But the table is there. The table is not set apart so that other people in the world are as far away as possible. It is right there, and God offers us grace there. You bathe my head in oil. My cup is so full, it spills over. Yes, goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the Lord's house as long as I You can't share faith in Jesus from a position of pride. Because in a position of pride, your faith is not in Jesus, but in yourself. And yet, even still, God restores our souls. Even still, when the church is faithless, God is faithful. We see in the Old Testament, for those who are reading the Bible with us, we're going through Deuteronomy, but especially when we get to the Chronicles and, and the Prophets, is the people of Israel being faithless and God being faithful over and over again. The story of the church since Jesus' ascension is the people of God being faithless and God being faithful. And our, our claim is not that God has, has given us a perfect church, but God has offered us life in the midst of this broken world. And yet God restores our soul. God reminds us who we are. We are not our brokenness. And the people in our lives who dismiss the faith, they are not just dismissers. They are not just broken people either who should be ignored. When we do the things of God, we show the world who God is. If we have a dismisser in our life, the most important thing to do is to not dismiss them, but to do the things of God so that we can't ourselves dismiss God. We do the means of grace, not just because to feel special about ourselves, but to see God. Because we want to see God. This is so clearly seen in the letter of James, at the end of 1 James. When James says, You must be doers of the word and not only hearers who mislead themselves. Those who hear but don't do the word are like those who look at their face in a mirror. They look at themselves, walk away, and immediately forget what they look like. Christians who don't do the things of God forget what it means to be Christian. And then they start separating themselves and they start redefining what it means and they start separating from other people. And when you do the things of God, you want to be like Jesus. You want to go and eat with the tax collectors and the sinners. When you do the things of God, you want to look at have I, who are the people in my life who are broken and in need of life. If, if I can't think of anybody, then maybe I need to do something. If I can't think of anybody, of anybody in need of grace, maybe I have cored myself off so that I don't have those issues in my life. And maybe I need to be doing more of the things of God to bring other people into my life. We are doers of the word because of what the word of God, the logos of God, Jesus Christ, has done for us. We are all sheep in need of a shepherd, those inside these walls, those outside these walls. We are all in need of grace. We don't do the things of God to earn salvation, but to see Jesus, to meet Jesus, to share Jesus. We see the power of these things in the saints who go before us. Saints like Jean Vanier, who passed away this week, who was the founder of the L'Arche Communities, who just hated the way society was cordoning off the severely mentally handicapped and just making them people to serve and people to give pity to 
instead of humans with dignity of their own. And so he created these communities where, where people lived together in solidarity, where there, where there wasn't this, okay, you're a patient, you're a, a servant, etc., where everybody worked together. Now, there's large communities all over the world. And it wasn't easy. He raised, he raised his family there. People in large communities, they raised their kids there. They raised their kids in these, in these situations because of who God is in their life that it is so important to love Jesus, they are going to give their families an environment that is not the stable, perfect 2.5 children with a backyard and a dog and a cat and maybe a fish. It is something else to offer Jesus. Saints like Jacob de Voister, Father Damien, whose, whose feast day was this past week, who, who went to Hawaii, who was sent there, and didn't know what to do and didn't know why, but ended up being a, a missionary to the leper colony getting leprosy himself and dying of leprosy because that was the place where Jesus was most needed to be. Saints, living saints whom we know in this church who are sick and yet show us the power of faith continually over and over again in surprising ways. One of the most amazing things about being a part of a church is not the amazing potlucks. Honestly, but we have great potlucks here, but that's not the point. It is, it is the, light, the whole range of life. It is mourning together. It is praising together. It is, it is getting together the, the meals after a funeral. It is remembering how to mourn, remembering how to celebrate. It is witnessing the amazing lives and testimonies of other people. God offers us grace in these dirty, ugly moments. Who is tired and weary today? Come to the water. Who wishes for a better world? Who sees the news and is just frustrated? Come to the water. Who longs for meaning and purpose in their life? Come to the water. Who is living for themselves but wants to live for something else? Come to the water. Let us share the water of life. It cannot be contained here. It cannot be contained with us. It runs dry if we keep it to ourselves. Let us offer goodness and mercy. Let us offer the house of the Lord that Psalm 23 calls out. Let us offer this house. May this be a place of offering to the world. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.